Art of the Cut is brought to you by Studio Network Solutions, helping video teams in over 70 countries transform the way they store, share, and organize content. Studio Network Solutions combines state-of-the-art shared storage hardware with intuitive media management software and powerful integrations for Adobe Premiere Pro, DaVinci Resolve, Avid, and Final Cut Pro 10. Visit studionetworksolutions.com and start creating amazing content faster. Hello and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast. I'm Steve Hallfish. I'm a feature film editor and discuss the art and craft of film editing with my colleagues in film and TV. In this episode, I'm talking with Nick Huey. Nick started out as an apprentice to Naomi Garrity and in 2012 moved to the editor's chair where he was an additional editor on Girl Most Likely and edited Fairhaven and Manhattan Romance before joining forces with Greta Gerwig for her breakout film Lady Bird. Today we're discussing his editing of Gerwig's latest film, Little Women, but I'll be sure to sneak in some questions about Lady Bird. I just got out of uh, Little Women, and it is spectacular. What a pleasure to watch. Thank you. I appreciate it. It it must be wonderful working with Greta. She seemed like she was in complete command of of that movie. Absolutely. I mean, I think she had been thinking about it since um, before she even understood consciousness (laughs) (laughs) it was a part of her do you know what i mean like where she was almost confusing the memories she had from the book of her own childhood in a way the way that you are with things that form you at a young age you know there's such an interesting structure and use of time the movie jumps back and forth between childhood and forward and backward in time can you talk to me a little bit about working on a film that's like that yeah, I mean, it was always originally meant to be that way. And it's something that what intrigued me about it uh, when I read the script, obviously I thought it was brilliant and also um, took some courage to do it because if it doesn't work, you know, you're in real trouble down the road. You can't just chop it up and put it in chronological order and, and say that's a wrap. It just doesn't work that way. What Greta was able to do with the script, which I thought was amazing, was every transition from scene to scene was done through emotion rather than through chronology. And I always feel like editing what you're trying to do is through every scene sort of link it by emotion and by what the interior lives of the characters are feeling. And what she did is ingrain that into the script itself, which I think is what editing is trying to do already is is link things by emotion. And so it, it just felt like the most perfect editing job you could imagine you know so it sounds like maybe there weren't a lot of changes from the script as far as structure were concerned no i mean i would say i mean we did do a a lot but the main idea of it and linking was always there but yeah i would say like you know 80 percent of what what was done was intended to be done as far as jumping back and forth and when we didn't when we had to move things around or take a scene out or something we really had to rewrite the end of a scene or the beginning of a scene so that it would it would link emotionally and visually there's this one section where beth uh one of the sisters is playing the piano and there's this nice montage of shots of the house before you see her playing uh giving the audience just a sense of place and there's a pre-lap or some off-screen dialogue into a play that joe's watching um, time and place just seem to transition effortlessly. And I suppose that's because of those emotional connections between jumps. It's funny that you say it that way, because 
that whole section uh, we completely built. You know, that was not scripted that way. But that particular cut that you're talking about where she's alone in the house, Beth is alone in the house playing by herself, and you hear Marmy off screen yelling, Beth, Beth, and then it goes into the play where Joe is in New York. Those are actually both in the present. Everything's in the present up until it goes to the hair burning scene where it says seven years earlier. And then we start jumping back and forth without any benchmarks or any science. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't realize that uh, the, the time frame was the same, but it's definitely a, a huge jump in location. That's the thing is you're jumping in location and you're jumping in time. And that always has, has confused audiences. And we just had to know that without putting you know, a thing on every single shot saying where and when we are, we just had to trust that the emotion of the story is what you cared about most. And, and as long as you were fully engaged in that, and you're not thinking about where exactly and when exactly you are, uh, that's a win for us. And it's been working. You know, there's always like 1% of people who have a problem with it in the beginning of the movie, but by the end they're sold and that's fine. You know, it's just built into the what the movie is. You have to learn how to watch it a bit. And um, we actually like that about it. It forces you to lean in and really pay attention. And, and I think it actually hooks you in a way that you're not expecting, which is really cool. And by the middle to the end, you're deeply, deeply invested um, in, in ways that I've never seen in another movie. I'm so glad that you didn't use those on-screen graphics to show time and locations, but uh, probably there was a lot of pressure from the studio to do it, right? Right. A lot of pressure to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there was We just do it pressure. once to show the difference from the beginning. And then as the movie goes on, they actually get closer and closer in time until they intersect. So there's, you know, if you really were to do, I'm surprised no one on the internet has done this yet, where they really show the timeline intersect in, in some visual manner, because we, we had our scene cards doing it and we were talking about it all the time. And it's a really interesting way of um, putting together the story that's so well known. And even if you're not familiar with it, I think at first you're like, who are these people and where are they and what's going on? But by the right amount of time, I think in the, at the end of the second reel or so, you're really engaged despite whether you know Beth, Joe, <laughs> Amy, and Meg. Uh, tell me about those scene cards. So you guys did use scene cards? Yeah, usually, you know, it's not, I don't find it terribly helpful just because we know the movie so well and we can just talk about it and and quickly just try the things we're talking about but with a movie like this where there was so much you could do with it because I wouldn't say it was non-linear but it was two timelines in linear order cutting back and forth so that gives you a lot of flexibility of where you can move things around and so we really did have to explore all those things and we did move a lot of things around and take things out which made you have to emotionally link them um, from scene to scene, which was really fun. It was a great challenge. So if you've written a screenplay, obviously, as she did, with the emotional links between time jumps, then you take out one of those time jumps, then what do you do? Absolutely. You know, I was listening to your amazing interview about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and how that's jumping between the three characters. And I love what he was saying, what Fred was saying about doing longer chunks with each of them rather than being modular as much and jumping back and forth. And we felt the same way. We, the script was much more modular where we were jumping back and forth a lot. And we ended up creating larger chunks of time where we were jumping between. And, and in doing so, because we had to link them, every scene transition is linked emotionally in the entire movie. So we had to build that um, when we were cheating it or jumping, you know? 
Another thing I noticed is that there is such a nice sense of slow-paced scenes intermixed with faster-paced scenes. Uh, one of them was, uh, uh, I was thinking of, uh, was the earlier section. There's kind of a stately montage of the house and the piano mm-hmm. into the stage play. And then the pace picks up considerably as Joe goes to some kind of a dance. Mm. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we call it the beer hall. Yeah. The beer hall. Yeah. So in the beer hall scene, there's the diegetic music that they dance to. Then it transitions to score as the emotion of the moment takes over. Right. That's exactly. So we knew that since Friedrich, the professor, has so little time played beautifully by Louis Gorel, uh, we knew he had so little screen time with Sersha, who plays Joe, uh, and yet he comes back later in the film. And so we knew we needed to really ramp up the small bit of screen time they had and show the emotional connection that they had and the physical connection that they had. And so what we did is we shot a lot of that dancing in at 48 frames and we shot on film, by the way, as well, and then ramped it down uh, even slower in some cases um, and did that music transition into Alexan's score, uh, which I think really helped audiences understand how she felt about him in a deeper way. Because that was really the only moment that we had where they were even really looking at each other with any kind of emotion. And we, we thought about doing additional photography to kind of have a scene with them more romantically. But I think what we were able to do with the footage we had worked well. I'm glad that you enjoyed that transition because it took a lot of um, elbow grease to make it just right. Another place that I really love the intercutting, and intercutting is just one of my passions to discuss, is between Beth playing piano and Meg, a.k.a. Daisy, goes to the ball. Yes. So when Beth goes over to Mr. Lawrence's house... For the first time. Yeah, to play the piano. And Meg, um, who they call Daisy lovingly, uh, is finally at the high society ball that she's always wanted to go to. Yeah, that was always scripted to be intercut, but we you know, moved around where we would go from one to the other um, to try to really amp up the emotion of it. Was that another case of trying to cut at emotional moments, or was it a matter of trying to keep the pace moving? It was both. I mean, we always loved the moment where Chris Cooper, Mr. Lawrence, walks down the stairs and hears the song, and you may presume that it was the same song that his daughter played on that same piano or just the memory of his daughter playing piano at all just makes him break down and we always knew that that was working well but we ended up trimming it way down and and the whole the whole piano sequence we were able to trim it down because we were intercutting so much so that it it actually had more emotional impact the score is uh, really modern, um, more modern than I expected it to be, at least. It's definitely not 19th century parlor music. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we worked with all these old, like, very old photographs that were almost from that Civil War era of, that, like, just women had taken of their children, of, of like, young girls, and with their hair just like they would wear around the house rather than done up. And it's so rare to see a picture of, like, a girl from that time that's just sort of like a natural shot of her rather than something where she's very presented and sitting up and has her hair done and everything and that's the way that you know Saoirse looks as Joe in the movie is that sort of just long wild hair in her nightgown running around and that sort of like modernism in what we think of as this old dusty past 
inspired Alexandre to do sort of that melding in the score. That, that's what he talked about anyway. I don't want to speak for him, but that was one of the reasons he was thinking about doing that is that he wanted to imbue the fresh modern perspective in a way that didn't take away from the period feel of the film. And I think he nailed it. He just walked that line perfectly. I noticed that in production design and in costumes too, there's, there's a great shot of Joe as she kind of wakes up in bed and realizes that it's Christmas Mm -hmm. and her clothes are, are without a doubt period to a T, but also there's something about the choices that really hip and fun and modern. It had like a vibe, like she was like funky and cool. Right. Right. I mean, they always say that, you know, the March family or you could say the Alcott's, you know, because it's Louisa May Alcott's own story in a way uh, about her life and her family growing up were kind of uh, hippies before there were hippies. They were vegan for a time and they were, you know, very progressive abolitionists and um, really were sort of extreme hippie types. And so, you know, that was part of what Jacqueline sort of imbued into the into the costumes and the production design, um, which was beautiful as well. But yeah, all the costumes were so beautifully done by Jacqueline Duran. She's amazing. And they were all, you know, like hand stitched and all the buttons were from the period. Everything was very legitimate. It was beautiful. Another scene that felt period, but also very modern was the beach scene. Uh, even though they're all in period head to toe beach wear and they're not in bikinis or something, (laughs) um, it felt really modern. Uh, maybe it was just uh, the attitude of the women. Yeah, just running around carefree. It's fun to see that in a period piece. Like it's, it doesn't have to be stuffy. Like young people were young people. You know, it's very refreshing to see. And Greta was great about that. To get back to the score for a minute, what did you temp with that could walk that fine line between modern and period? We always temp with George Delarue and especially in sort of the playful, nostalgic moments. Uh, I tried to temp with as much Alexander as I could, so I got every single score I could get a hold of from him, and we temped a ton with that. We had like over 90 minutes of temp score that ended up translating to him writing all of that score, which is amazing. And we used a bit of John Bryan as well, because we love him, and we used him, in, uh, obviously, as our great composer for Lady Bird. I was struck by this big ensemble of A-list actors, you know, Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Laura Dern, Timothy Chalamet, Bob Odenkirk, let's not even mention Meryl Streep, and all of these other great actors. You had such an embarrassment of riches during any of these multi-character ensemble scenes. Yes. You know, who do I go to? Everybody is, like, mesmerizingly perfect. Every scene, I can't believe she shot this movie as quickly as she did. It was amazing. Uh, When you think about how many different locations and different costume changes and everything there were. She shot it in like 39 days. It's unbelievable. I would see some of these extremely complicated scenes uh, where there's 10 people talking at once, moving in and out of a scene, moving from one side of the room to the other, all extremely overlapped dialogue, like perfectly timed. And she shot in a half a day, you know, and you're like, that should have taken three days to shoot that scene. Um, So I would be just buried in dailies of all of these beautiful angles of all of these characters doing all these perfect things exactly as you said and just trying to choose which amazing piece I was going to use was the the biggest challenge. I want you to talk about uh, a specific transition especially since you mentioned that the transitions are all intentionally on emotional moments. There's a hard cut from Joe at the funeral 
to uh, a matching shot of Joe later, but she's smiling and happy. When we were first figuring out how we were going to do these time transitions in pre-production, we talked a lot about doing, you know, match cuts. And some of them were planned ahead of time and some of them were not. And that particular one was not planned ahead of time. And we had this beautiful shot of Saoirse looking down at Beth in her grave, you know, and we did this thing with the color where it slowly saturates behind her and the, the leaves start to turn like glowing colored and it suddenly shoots us into the wedding and we found a similar shot of her just looking out the window at Beth down below gathering fa- flowers and repositioned it and blew it up and lined up her eyes so that it was a perfect match cut and it's one of the most I think uh, one of my most favorite uh, transitions in all anything I've ever worked on um, because it is so unexpected and so beautiful. And uh, we were just so happy when we found that moment. It literally is. She's looking down exactly at Beth, you know, dead and alive. Um, wh- what is cinema other than that? I remember just saying to Greta, like, this is it. Like, we, this is my favorite thing. <laughs> I was so happy when we did that. Yeah, and, and by a hard cut, I definitely didn't mean it was a harsh transition. Um, it's just It was just a right, pure, I know clean cut. Right. It's Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, we're, You're also going from a funeral to joy. So uh, that's a big yes. uh, transition. And I had no idea that you were ramping up the color. Uh, you totally got me because near the end of that shot, I was thinking, wow, what a gorgeous location. Look at that color of those leaves. So Yeah, we slowly ramped up just the background color. This is a great movie to rewatch, I have to say, because once you understand what we're doing and then you can just enjoy all the crazy stuff. Uh, it's really fun to watch again. I've had more than any other film I've ever worked on or anything. I've had people come up to me and be like, I want to go watch it again immediately. I definitely felt that way when I walked out. I'm like, I'm going to have to see this again with my wife and I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be happy to see it again. Repeat viewings um, offer a lot for sure. There's a great montage of Joe writing the first couple of chapters of Little Women, and she's up in the attic, and the candles are being lit and melting and being relit to give like a passage of time. Can you talk about molding that mm-hmm. montage from what I must have been a huge amount of material? Yeah, I mean, that's what's amazing, again, is that she shot all of that in no time at all. It was unbelievable. It was like a half a day and then a, f- a few hours of insert, she put that together and just threw it at me. And I would actually say there was not a ton to work with in that particular case. It was very well planned out and we basically did exactly what we had talked about down to, you know, we shot the same desk in, in the daytime lighting and the nighttime lighting and then all of everything that she was doing in, in daytime and nighttime. We knew that we wanted to start with her putting down a few pages and then slowly building to a whole floor full of pages but what was you know really exciting about it was making it sort of the training montage as we talked I can about totally like see that. in a sports movie or something where right before you know you actually succeed you go through this extreme gauntlet of dexterity <laughs> and that we called it like you know the writing montage the training montage we felt like it was rocky or something and that's exactly what i was gonna yeah. say so it's exactly like a montage <laughs> from rocky that's and exactly then at it. the at the end you know when she's one and she's got her her baby which is her book you know uh it all pays off there like that's the moment when you've won the match you know in a way and uh using those sports analogies was fun and and helpful actually in sort of getting you excited and pumping you up 
Another intercutting scene I wanted you to talk about was uh, intercutting the birthday party scene with the book printing and book binding scene as Joe watches her book being made. Yes. I feel like while we were cutting, we would get the note occasionally like, well, you could trim down the ending a bit. And, you know, we were always like, I think this is really working emotionally and paying off everything. Basically, what you see is the first version of it minus we did a scene. We had a moment where after she gives Marmy the cake and everyone is happy, it sort of pulled around and showed this landscape off in the distance. It just never really paid off. You were just kind of like, why am I now looking at some hills in Massachusetts? (laughs) It didn't really do anything emotionally for you. So aside from just lopping that off and sort of transitioning from the family altogether to the book, which makes a lot more sense just visually and emotionally, that was all planned pretty much exactly how you see it and shot beautifully by a second unit director, all those inserts of the book being made, uh, all very specifically planned out by Greta. And, and while she was shooting all these other scenes, we were just rushing to get everything done. Those last couple of days were insanity. Somehow it just all fell together beautifully and we didn't really have to rethink it too much. And we tempt a lot with Alexandre there and that ending, just building up your emotion and then bringing it down to something much more stripped down. Um, just these simple sort of piano notes with a low underlying from the cellos. And then he, what he ended up doing with the score was like perfectly what we were hoping. Um, he just nailed it. And so I think it all worked out. It was just another example. This whole movie is an example of just everyone doing their best work and it all coming together in a very lucky way. Let's face it. We always need more storage for our media and projects, but sometimes just having enough storage isn't enough because the more you have, the harder it is to find your files. Studio Network Solutions understands that. That's why their EVO shared storage servers provide industry-leading performance for real-time 4K and even 8K editing, and also include an entire suite of features designed to help you organize and manage your media. Each system comes with built-in software, so you search, tag, and preview all of your storage, backup tools so you always know your media and projects are protected, and integrations for Premiere Pro, DaVinci Resolve, Avid, Final Cut 10, all included for free with your EVO shared storage server. As a special offer for my listeners, you can get up to 10% off of new EVO systems by going to studionetworksolutions.com AOTC and signing up for an online demo. If you're tired of rummaging through a mountain of drives to find your files, it's time to give your storage an upgrade. So before you add another drive to the pile, visit studionetworksolutions.com slash AOTC and discover a better way to store, share, and organize your media. One of the things that I've heard directors talk about and, and what I felt was so impressive about Greta's direction in the movie was the control of tone. Talk to me about just her controlling tone in post. Absolutely. Yeah, I think what we always talk about is the tone. Um, that's everything and the rhythm, but they're intertwined and linked. And it's all, almost always d- due to performance. And what we always talked about is like a great actress like or actor like Meryl Streep. What she does is she gives you a perfect performance in one tone. And then, and I'm talking about every scene that she's in, she does one tone for one take that's perfect and usable in every way and just kills. Then she does another take in a different tone for that character in each of the scenes that she's in also and kills it. And then she does it again in a different tone in every scene, equally amazing. And so you actually can shape the tone of her performance 
across the entire film and always have a usable version of that performance, being able to adjust the tone by choosing different takes. And that's the sign of an amazing actor. And they just give you options. And so because we had Sersh and Meryl and Timothy and Florence and Laura and Chris Cooper, like we just had such an abundance of tone variations while all being the right, like a very, very strong approach to the material. So we were able to adjust the tone and dial it one way or another just because we had such a wonderful range of fantastic performances. And I could talk about sort of the tone moments that, you know, we had to chisel and how we did that. But that, that's... No, that's... that's yeah. I would love to hear about that. Yeah. I mean, there's certain things like Meryl had you know such a perfect sort of we wanted to sort of lay it on thick uh <laughs> her aunt march quality and we were able to do that because she went there and in, in a lot of takes and we could have gone even further and when we did sometimes it went too far into sort of she felt more like a caricature so but she gave us that ability if we needed to do it or if maybe just using it for one line really knocked it out of the park and made the audience really love her. And I think we were able to sort of dial it because we had all of those options. And same goes for Joe's reaction to all of that. You know, she could be kind of bratty or she could be like understanding of the wise words of this woman. And we were able to adjust all those scenes because of that. And then also with Marmy, she's somebody, you know, especially the way Laura played her, where she's full of all this like very deep, deep feelings and even depression that she's I wouldn't say masking but she's showing the outside world her daughters the strength that she needs to show them even though you know her husband is off at the war and so there's scenes where she's putting on that that mask very heavily and then there's others where we're doing it more subtly and so we were able to kind of tweak that and sometimes when she would be doing it too much we we we, we would tone that down or if she was being a bit too somber, we'd be like, well, maybe Marmy in this moment would actually be showing a stronger face and cheering up her kids, even if you know what she's feeling deep down is not so chipper, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's amazing that you had the opportunity to sculpt that tone so deftly um, because of uh, the many choices the actors gave you. Right. That's, that's, I, I always feel like a good actor gives you a lot to work with, and a great actor gives you like everything to work with. So uh, 30-some-odd days to shoot this whole thing? It's unbelievable, yeah. I think there was like two days of pre-pro shooting, and then we never did any additional photography. And it was all shot uh, on location, or did, was it a split of location? Yeah, and it's the first Little Women to actually be shot in Massachusetts, and it was almost all shot around Concord. And, you know, they rebuilt an exact replica, basically, of Louisa May Alcott's house right across from the house that they used for Mr. Lawrence's house. One of the things uh, I think I heard on a DGA podcast with Greta was that all of these big names told her that they were going to be in this movie. And uh, the fans are just so ardent. That's one of the things I loved about the ending. It's this joyful celebration of the book itself. You know, they're printing the book and they're sewing it together. And she's walking through the school and yeah. The fans of the book get this great triumph along with Joe at the end. It's everything. You know, that's one of those examples where shorter would be worse. And usually I'm all about trimming, trimming, trimming. And But that was a moment where we really had to 
breathe to get to that emotional moment that hopefully uh, most people tell me that they cry heavily there and feel it heavily like her triumph is your triumph another place where i you know brought tears to my eyes honestly was maybe unexpected i loved when um the professor uh that joe ends up marrying uh when he played the piano for them that was so emotional right it's so beautiful and it's Part of it may be subconsciously because we, that was a song that Beth plays earlier. But also just the performances are unbelievable and the way Greta shot it was gorgeous. And Yorick, I have to mention how beautiful Yorick's cinematography was, Yorick Lasso. he's I just told him, I remember saying, like, you've made the most beautiful movie I've, I, I know of right now. So, like, congratulations to you. It was so gorgeous. Um, and then we had an amazing music supervisor who helped us with um, all of the source music, quote-unquote, um, like that song. You know, we tried a bunch of different stuff, and that was definitely the one to use, and it really gets you in the gut. Um, but, yeah, that's Louis Gruel as, as Friedrich, yeah, um, playing playing the piano. The cinematography was amazing. I don't know uh, if you know the Twitter account or website called Every Frame of Painting. Oh, yes. But I was yeah, thinking throughout that whole movie – Every frame is literally a painting. I mean, when Joe tears up the letter and throws it up the bridge and the scene of Joe reading to her dying mm-hmm. sister on the beach. I mean, it's just incredibly gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And it, it literally is when you look at the references for when they were deciding how to shoot that. It looks like if you hold them side by side, they look exactly the same. It's unbelievable. I don't know how they did it. The, what references? Are, like something that uh, Greta pulled together that she wanted it to yeah, look like? Yeah, like... Yeah, paintings from that time. What's the name of the artist? Um, Oh, Winslow Homer. It was Winslow Homer. His beach paintings. Uh, Were there any references for you as an editor? Uh, What inspired the editing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we talked actually a lot about um, Truffaut and specifically two English girls because it has a lot of those sort of, uh, what do you call them, epistolary sort of letters back and forth to one another where they're direct addressing the camera which we ended up doing less in this movie than we originally intended but it was a good way to think about that and then a good example is on the beach scene when Laurie is introducing each of the girls each of the sisters to Fred and he says this is Joe Amy Beth and Meg and we cut to these super tight close-ups of each of them really quickly and that's the kind of thing that Truffaut did with period films he made them feel extremely fresh it really you watch his period films and they don't feel like a period film in, in a way they feel like they're from the 70s or whatever um and so we were really trying to emulate that um two english girls is a really good one to look at and then we of course we just we actually thought about scorsese too because age of innocence feels like an extremely fresh way of doing a period piece and we looked at um, lots of, you know, I could go on and on, but those, I love those two films. Um, when you think about how to do something really stylistic that still works in the period. First of all, how did you meet Greta? And then how has that relationship evolved? And you obviously both come to trust each other. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those things. Um, I had done this show called the night of with Steve Zellian, um, which was really my first big break. And we did the whole thing together um, besides the original pilot that was starred James Gandolfini, and then we had to reshoot it with John Turturro um, after he died, after James Gandolfini died, unfortunately, and and then we did all the rest of the seven episodes just me and Steve Zalian, which was an amazing experience to 
as like my first big thing to work on. And luckily it went very well. We had a great experience together. And um, so Greta had seen it and liked it. And, you know, she's always with Noah Baumbach and Noah Baumbach's editor, Jennifer Lame, is a friend of mine because we were both apprentices together under another great editor, Naomi Garrity. And so we were always um, apprentices that then became assistants and were working next to each other and then became editors and were always, you know, going to each other's screenings and things. And when she got Frances Ha, you know, she was an assistant that got bumped up to do that. And I was an assistant who got bumped up to do the night of. And so she said, oh, Greta's doing a, a feature, her first feature that's, you know, written and directed solely by her. And, you know, she loved the night of, so why don't you have lunch with her? And we just hit it off. And it was so wonderful when I was able to sit down and work on Lady Bird with her. We just knew that we had, <laughs> as she said before, we were sing- singing the same invisible song, uh, which I think is a good way to describe it. That's very poetic. <laughs> and we hate the same stuff. She likes to say that as well. <laughs> No, it's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll keep that between us. That's fair. Uh, good political decision. <laughs> Do you want to talk about any of the similarities or differences between cutting Lady Bird and uh, Little Women? I wanted to chat with you back on Lady Bird, and I just couldn't contact you. I mean, I'm so proud of Lady Bird. I think an interesting way to tie the two things together is to think of it like, okay, both films star Sersha as a sort of autobiographical um, version of Greta and in this case Louisa May Alcott as well um, and both of them start with a quote you know by a female author um, and then what I've always loved and was a, kind of an accident but when we thought about it we really uh, embraced it is that at the end of Lady Bird there's that moment where she's crying in the church and it's all a very similar shot to the end of Little Women where she's holding the book and tearing up and looking through the glass at her books being made. Um, and then in Lady Bird, she walks out of the church and she's sort of standing in the center of the frame in a medium shot in daytime looking towards us. And as she breathes in, we cut. And if you were to do some kind of double feature and skip the credits and just go straight to the first shot of Little Women, it's the same woman, Sersha in the same medium shot in the center of the frame, but with her back to us and silhouetted, taking a big breath in and then walking through the door. And it's such a beautiful way to put together your first two films in a way that they fit together perfectly. And I was just really happy when we sort of found that and made it as good as we could make it. And I hope somebody notices that, but um, it doesn't really matter. It's sort of, I think, subconsciously you feel it and and i'm very curious to see what the third installment is (laughs) well now i can be the genius that photoshops together the meme that makes that connection and everybody (laughs) will think i'm brilliant yeah i'm excited to see it (laughs) the first time i saw saoirse and i was so impressed by her was uh, brooklyn oh yeah she's amazing she is she is meryl streep she's she's that good There's a shot of her that holds for like 90 seconds on her face with no dialogue and you see the emotions play over her face. You see, you see everything you need with no words. Yeah. She's got, got that. It's really something. It's so, uh, it really is 
all you could ask for when you're sitting there channeling that, watching the dailies, and you see those moments where her face just becomes translucent, and you can see right into her emotions. It's just amazing. She's got it, you know? Does it cause problems for you as an editor because the performance is so amazing that you just want to, like, hold on everything forever? Well, I think we do that a lot. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't cause problems because it's, it's a bounty of riches, as you said, but it's just finding the very best moment, yeah, and, and using it, you know, as as impactfully as possible. I don't know if I'd ever find a moment that I wanted to cut away from her. <laughs> it's Yeah, you have to know when to, when to cut for sure. <laughs> Any scenes or moments that were particularly challenging or that you're, you're really proud of? You know, we were working tirelessly on um, the Beth death sequence and really trying to get that perfect. And, you know, we worked on it a lot. That was one of the areas we worked on the most. And we had a sound mixer just turn to me and he said, they should teach this real, like just this whole real, real five, like they should teach this real in film class. You guys nailed it. And he was a mixer that I very much respected. And it was one of those moments where I was just like, ah, oh, thank you. Cause we worked so hard on it. And I did feel like I'm very proud of it. And then there's all these other moments that I, when you rewatch it with your wife, um, just watch the transitions because there's this beautiful one that we found in the cutting room that I was uh, very proud that Greta sort of subconsciously shot, which was when Florence, who plays Amy, is at Aunt March's house and she's sitting by the fire sort of on the on the ground and, and Aunt March, Meryl Streep, is saying, uh, you know, you're your family's only hope now. All the other girls are not marrying rich. You have to marry a wealthy man. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, go back to your little painting, you know, and, and Amy walks sort of in a semicircle in this medium wide shot into the door. And we ended up putting the scene of her then being in the present day in Paris with Aunt March right up against that scene. And she walks through the doorway into the present as as older Amy. I remember that perfect God. arch. You do remember it? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. So, you, yeah, when you watch it again, it won't be as surprising. But at, that's one of those moments where we were just like, yeah, this movie subconsciously was emotionally tying itself, visually tying itself um, together. And so just finding those moments and knowing that the movie was screaming out for them and putting it, and making it happen was I, just that kind of thing I felt like was really unique. Congratulations on a great film. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I think that's it for me, um, unless there's something else like, geez, I wish he'd asked me about this. No, I mean, I could talk about this movie and, and, and working with Greta for days. You know, I, 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 it's, it's what I always wanted to do as an editor is a movie like this and the things that we've done together. So I'm just very um, happy to talk about it at any length. If there's any other follow-up questions you think of, I'm happy to talk about anything. It, and I love your podcast, by the way. I love it so much and your book and everything. So I'm, I'm tickled to, to be able to talk to you as well. Oh, thank you very much. I do want to talk about one other scene, just give you an opportunity to chat about um, cutting performance and, and uh, one of the, fa- I don't want to say, call it faster, but one of the more, I, I felt the energy of the scene was when Joe is, and obviously this is a, kind of a spoiler unless somebody's read the book. <laughs> I think we've spoiled a lot yeah, already. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> uh, when, when she's turning down uh, Timothy Chalamet's uh, mm-hmm. you know, proposal, they're out, in mm-hmm. a, they're out in a field and he's just desperate mm-hmm. for her to, to agree to marry him and she, and she won't do it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's just great 
energy and there's the the compositions the, the mm-hmm. choices to cut wide and c- to be close can you talk to me about constructing that whole scene that's one that uh, I feel very proud of just and Greta is always generous to t- say to people that I just cut that while she was shooting and she didn't change it afterward we just that was exactly the scene uh, my first assembly of it is what you see in the movie theater wow we, yeah and but that was because it was such a great scene and i just worked really hard on it and i knew it would be great you know it was like i knew it was the crown jewel of the movie i mean there's so many in this movie but that one i just i also really felt for Lori there you know it's like he his love needed to mature and grow and in that scene it's still he's still clinging to something that he knows knows deep down isn't going to work and he loves this person but he's got it confused and um so I really felt for him and of course for Joe in that scene. And so I really felt like I understood it and it was so beautifully shot um, that I just, and the performances, they were all really good, but there was these certain takes where it, it was just out of control and you just had to use them and I just knew it. And so I, it was like a feverish throwing it together and putting it out there and, and then we didn't touch it cause we knew it was just right. That's one of those places where I think when I'm editing, you get into the feeling of the, like you're physically, emotionally involved. Yes. Like you're like, oh, your breathing starts in to, to yes, increase. Yes, you have to be. Yeah, you have to do that. Yeah, that's amazing. And the, the one final thing that I wanted to mention, just a question about when Joe's character finally kind of concedes, okay, um, Teddy, you know, I want to, you know, if he asked me again, I'd marry him. And then you find the, he marries the sister, but she doesn't mm-hmm. know it yet. There's a great shot where, I think the audience wants someone else to realize that this thing has happened, you know, that, that, Oh no, she doesn't even realize that, you know, yeah. who, who knows that she loves her. And there's a great cut to Laura Dern's character as the mom, as the two, as the two sisters hug. Mm-hmm. And she knows, and you cut mm-hmm. to the mom just to, to give a little nod to the mom knows how much Joe, you know, that Joe might've married him. Yeah, and that's a good example of tone because we we tried a few different cutaways and there was just that one moment there that was just right for that and you got it just right and Laura nailed that moment. We worked really hard to get that look to say exactly what comes across there, so I'm glad that it did for you. And was the tone that Laura gave a performance that uh, in some of her takes that was too... um, yeah, like two notes. No, yeah, well, it's easy to do. I, you know, that's why she's a great actress because she honed in and found that exact moment. But getting to it is tricky because you, you do. It is literally just a look, and so, um, you know, you can go a little bit too knowing, or you know, too too sad for her, or um, too happy, or you know, there, there's a lot of, and it's sort of an alchemy. You have to just try a few different ways of doing it until until you get it right, and everyone. Um, got it you know and we found it pretty early on but we were we were very happy that we got it just right I, I, and um she gave it to us you know you just got to find it i f- love this conversation with you uh as you uh, pointed out i could talk about this for hours and hours <laughs> but Me too, um, yeah. uh i'm going to 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 uh leave it there on that wonderful note about tone and performance and nick thank you so much for talking to me today Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Art of the Cut podcast. 
Also, check out ProVideoCoalition.com for more than 200 interviews with the world's top editors. Or read the book, Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a topic-driven, curated experience. Thanks again to my guest, Nick Huey. I'm Steve Hallfish. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Steve Hallfish. Also subscribe to this podcast and make sure to tell a filmmaking or film-loving friend.